So today we're uh, continuing our series uh, called 40 Days of Prayer. Um, Last month, there was an article that came out. Maybe you saw this article. It was really popular in the news. It was really making its way all over social media. But it was kind of, there's these different organizations that rank the countries of the world on which ones are the best countries to live in. Anyone see that article kind of come by in January? We're number two. Canada made number two the second greatest country in the entire world to live in. Now, I find that stuff fascinating. I'm a numbers guy. That's kind of my background. I was a math and science guy long before I ever became a Christian and definitely long before I ever became a pastor. So I like how do they calculate these things. And they're looking at things like economic growth. They're looking at things like job creation. They're looking at different things like, you know, housing costs, access to good food, access to clean water. Kind of, they're looking at kind of these big picture kind of stuff, social programs, assistance, all those kind of things. And so when you look at kind of this, this macro level up here, Canada is the second greatest country in the world to live in. But when you get down to the micro level of people's lives, like we could sit there and say we're the second greatest country in the world, but there are still so many people in this country, in this room, who are lonely, who are struggling, who are dealing with finances and they don't know how to pay the bills, who are dealing with with mental illness struggles, Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, PTSD, self-image. There are people that are dealing with alcohol, substance abuse. There are people who are dealing with pornography addictions. And I'm just talking about the churchgoers right now. I'm not even talking about the rest of the world out there. Our culture is hurting. Our culture is broken. Our culture is deeply wounded and we can sit there and put on a smiley face and say we're the second greatest country in the world everything's awesome or we can be real before one another we can be real before a god who loves us knowing that even though everything at the macro level looks amazing down deep down in the micro level we know we have a lot of work still to do and that's what we're so passionate about as as a church here is we don't want people coming to church putting on this fake Christian attitude that put on this fake smile at this macro level that everything's great. We want you to know how much God loves you. We want you to know how much God cares for you, even in the pain, even in the hurt, even in the struggles, and we need to be real with each other. God already knows this stuff. So why do we try to hide it from other people? We are in desperate need in our lives for healing. Physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing. We are in desperate need in our own lives for restoration. Relationships that are severely broken, that need to be restored. Hurts and pains and hang-ups that we have held on to for decades that may be eating us alive. So that's what I want us to talk about today as we continue this series of 40 Days of Prayer. I want us to talk about how you and I come before our Heavenly Father 
and pray for healing and pray for restoration in our individual lives, in our church family, and in our nation. How do we do that? How do we come before God with that type of heart and kinds of prayers? And today we're going to kick this off. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is what I'm going to look at. Danielle read that verse for us this morning already. But this is where I'm going to anchor our time together this morning. This is um, what I call one of those fridge verses. And what I mean by a fridge verse, there's lots of magnets that you can buy of this verse and stick on your fridge and walk past it every day and forget how powerful this verse really is because it's so familiar. But I want to camp out in this verse to help us see how you and I need to be men and women, boys and girls who are praying for healing and restoration in our lives, in our church, and in our land. This is what is written here in the Word of God. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal, heal their land. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins, and heal their land. 3,000 years ago, God made that promise to a king named Solomon. Solomon was King David's son. And King Solomon had the task of building for the people of God a temple where they could come and offer sacrifice and offer praise, and and the priest could come into the presence and the glory of God in the most holy of holy places where the ark was kept. And Solomon built this great temple to show the glory of God to the world. And God made this promise at this time to King Solomon, ultimately saying, At the end of the day, it's not about showing off. It's not about this grand temple that shows that God is with the people. But it's our attitude as the people of God. What does it truly look like that be people where God is truly among them? God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That is what God wants the most not about temples it's not about worship styles it's not about dressing properly it's not about playing the right songs and all these things god wants men and women boys and girls who will humble themselves will seek the face of god and those people will be called my people this is an important verse to unpack especially as we're talking about prayer as we're talking about prayer of healing prayer of restoration God promises that he wants to heal. God promises us in this verse that he wants to heal our land. But there's some kind of, I hate to say the word conditions, but there's kind of some conditions in this verse. It's God wants to do his part, but there's a part that you and I play in the work of God as well. And so I want us to unpack this verse a little bit, looking at kind of some other parts in the Bible to help us get a really good understanding of what's going on here. 
Right? The first thing that we have to understand and truly unpack is, who is God talking to? When God says, my people, who is he referring to here when he says, my people? Is he just simply talking about the Jewish people 3,000 years ago, or is this still true for the church today? Jesus was approached with a very similar question. When kind of uh, Jesus was going around teaching, doing all these different miracles, and people uh, noticed that Jesus' family were coming. His mother and his brothers and sisters were coming to him. Now, just a little bit of a sidebar. I know some people in, in Christian traditions don't believe Jesus had brothers and sisters. They kind of treat it like, no, it's like, like my brother, my sister kind of thing. You know, it's like we're kind of, you know, we're tight. No, they're brothers and sisters. Like, like Mary had other children. They're half-brothers, half-sisters. I know we can get tense and upset about things like that, but it's what the Bible says, so let's just kind of get past the anxiety and all that and take a deep breath. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was first born. Mary, virgin, when Jesus was born. Okay, yes. But they were, Mary and Joseph, they were a good Jewish couple who obeyed the commandment of being fruitful and multiplying. <laughs> and they multiplied. Okay? Um, sidebar. So this fam- these family come to Jesus. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verses uh, 46 to 50, says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Sadly, a lot of times when Jesus' brothers showed up, they were trying to get him to stop what he was doing. You're looking like a fool, Jesus. Who are you to say that you are the Messiah, Jesus? You're making the family look bad, Jesus. Knock it off, Jesus. They were probably tired of growing up in a home saying, why can't you feel like your older brother, Jesus? It's been a tough way to grow up. In verse 47, it says, someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven, sorry, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is pointing out something really fascinating here. What does it mean to be the people of God? What does it mean to be God's people? God is, Jesus is saying we're family. And who are the family? It's the people who do the will of the Father. Okay, and that opens up a whole other question. What is the will of the Father? Is it just be a good boy, be a good girl, go to church, put 10% of your tithes and offerings in a basket, volunteer once a month? Is that what it means? Is that the Father's will? Well, John 6, 40 tells us what the Father's will is. The Apostle John wrote, for my Father, sorry, Jesus said this in John's Gospel, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. The will of the Father is to submit to the Son. The will of the Father is to know that Jesus came. That Jesus has come to die to pay for your sin. That Jesus has come to pay a price that you couldn't pay. It's God the Father's will that people would know who Jesus is. Not just every way is the way to God. Whatever religion works for you is fine. That's not the will of God the Father. 
the will of God the Father is that everyone would know that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the life, Jesus is the truth. And when we accept that, when we believe that we are brought in to God's family, Jesus now calls you brother and sister because you've submitted to the will of God. So praying for healing, praying for restoration starts from our identity as children of God. It starts in our identity as Christians, of being Christians who have submitted and surrendered our lives to God. I I get people all the time, um, friends of mine, family members of mine, people who I love dearly, who are, are not Christians, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, and they come to me all the time, whether in person or a text message or on Facebook, and ask me, well, would you pray for this? Would you pray for this? Would you pray for this? Would you pray for this person in the hospital? Pray for this financial situation? Would you pray for this broken relationship? Now, I love it when people who don't believe in God ask me to pray. Especially I love it when people are adamantly don't believe in any form of God whatsoever and then still come to me and ask me for prayer. I love it when you do that. It's awesome because it shows me you don't actually believe what you say you believe. There's a little bit in you that really hopes this is true. But I also, what I try to do is say, well, why don't you pray? (laughs) Why don't you pray for these things? They can't. Because they're not starting with that identity. (laughs) If you are seeking healing and restoration in your life, if you are dealing with finances, if you're dealing with health issues, if you're dealing with broken relationships, those prayers that we offer up to God have got to start from that identity that we have of being God's children because that's where the power comes from it's not from being religious it's not from saying the right prayer the right way but it starts from the fact that we are children of god being god's people and then so once we understand that we're god's people oh here's the other part this is the other part i love about being god's people where uh, it continues in chronicles where it says who will humble themselves So not only are we God's people, but we're God's people who humble themselves in his name. And Jesus talked about this too. He talked about how you and I as Christians deal with the name of Jesus. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 verse 38, he says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is a biggie. And I believe this is a biggie in our culture today. You and I, I mean, we don't have to be a, a, an expert in studying culture to realize we live in an adulterous, sinful generation. It's crazy. Stuff that we believe, stuff that we condone, stuff that we allow, stuff that we ignore. It's crazy. And Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, in that generation, I'm going to be ashamed of you. So if our lives reflect a life where we're actually ashamed of the fact that we're followers of Jesus, that we're ashamed that we're Christians, how do you think that's going to impact our prayer life? I'm just putting it out there. I was really wrestling with this this week. Because I've been praying for a lot of things. I've been praying that God would move in a lot of ways 
I've been praying that God would work in my own life, my family, this church, this city. And when I hit on this verse, I was directly reminded on, when's the last time I invited someone to church? It's been a while. When's the last time I told someone about Jesus? It's been a while. And that just sat with me, and it, and it made me uncomfortable. Because I'm praying God's going to do some great stuff. I'm praying that God's going to do some miracles in your life. But am I living a life that's showing people I might be ashamed of him? This really hit home for me, too, and I'm just going to put this one out here because I'm going to talk about this more next week at our AGM. But if you're a member here in our church, you know one of the requirements of membership is to be regularly inviting people to church? You know that's written in our Constitution? That if you are a member, you regularly invite people to church? Just let that sit. I'm French-Canadian. I'm really good with the guilt. And God's been really raking me over the coals on this this week. If God's not answering prayers, maybe we're not truly following the will of the Father. Right? That's what the text seems to say. God wants to do great things, but if we're not truly living out God's will, we got to look at that. So how do we deal with this? we got to deal with the fact that we might be ashamed. And that's the first thing that some of you, myself included, may need to overcome to help see power come back into our prayer life. To see God moving in supernatural ways as we pray. We have to ask ourselves, are there parts of my life where I might be ashamed of Jesus? And we need to do that hard work to make sure that that isn't the case. That's why we want everyone in a life group. Talk about that this week in your life group. Are there parts of your life where you might be ashamed of Jesus? You obviously look like a Christian in these parts of your life, but in these other ones, ooh, no. (laughs) You make sure, you work real hard to make sure it never comes up. That's the first thing we have to do, is deal with the fact that we might be ashamed. Second thing that we have to do, according to this verse in Second Chronicles, is we have to humble, humble ourselves. Right? It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Right? If my people will humble themselves. Right? We don't approach God arrogantly. We don't approach God proudly or flippantly or disrespectfully. We don't make demands of God. Right? It's this whole idea that, God, you owe me. God, I've been a good girl. I've been a good boy. I deserve this. Or, God, I have done everything right. Where's my answered prayer? We treat God like a vending machine. We treat God like a magic genie. God doesn't want that. God wants us to come before God humbly. I'm shocked by the teaching that goes on in our churches today. And it's not just in the United States. It's not just in, in America. It's here in our city as well. That, this, that, that God owes us something. That if you just pray, and if you had the right faith, that you're going to be blessed with health, and you're going to be blessed with wealth, because God like, owes this to you. I once heard someone say that we as Christians can't share our faith if we're not rich. Because why would anyone listen to us? And I was like, get behind me, Satan. Because I think some of the most godly people I've ever met have been some of the people who are the most poor. 
according to the world standards. <laughs> and it's we got to be very careful of our pride. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want to bless. I'm not saying God doesn't want to heal. I'm not saying God doesn't want to pour out riches to people. <laughs> but when we demand it, when it's expected, we're not walking very humbly before God. Because what humility means, humility basically means, is we've come to the understanding in our walk that we are not in control. That's what humility means. It's, I am not in control. God is. Right? I'm not in control on this, the, the, how well this church is doing, and if it's growing, and if we're meeting budget, and all these things. Now, I work hard to work hard in our ministries, to work hard in our structures, to work hard with our leaders. But at the end of the day, it's God who's doing it all. That's humility. It's understanding that you work hard. I heard, uh, was it Francis of Assisi, I think he said it. I can't remember if it was directly him, but he said, pray and worship like everything depends on God and work like everything depends on you. Pray and worship like everything depends on God and get to work like everything depends on you. That, for me, is a great definition of humility. We do our part, but we're worshiping and we're praising and we're seeking God, knowing ultimately that he's the one who's in control. So we have to humble ourselves before God. And humility is a choice. <laughs> humility is a choice that we make. Right? Humility is when we pray right away when we've sinned. <laughs> humility is when we ask for forgiveness right away when we've hurt someone. Right? Humility is being patient with the people who hurt us and not plotting how we're going to retaliate. Humility is stop getting offended. I say this all the time. Our culture, we are so offended by everything. I was just reading. I'm a geek, so I'm reading all the reviews for the new geek movie that just came out. All the reviewers were saying, it's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing. One guy put a review online, said he didn't like it. And now everyone thinks he's a racist bigot. He didn't like the movie. Why are we so offended every time someone shares an opinion? Humility, humility, humility is to stop being so offended. Right? Humility is accepting correction. Right? Humility is being respectful of government, even if you don't like them and didn't vote for them. Right? Humility is cleaning a mess that you see in the bathroom, even though it's not your mess. Humility is confessing temptations that you and I are dealing with. Humility is always speaking well of other people. Humility is praying for our enemies. Right? And humility is a big deal to God. It's all throughout the scriptures. We can see that God is seeking women, boys and girls who have a humble heart. We see it in Psalm 25 verse 9. It says, God leads the humble in the right way and teaches them his will. We have to be humble to learn and, and grow in the will of God. Right? In Isaiah 66, verse 2, it says, I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. God wants to bless the humble. In James 4, 6, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So do you and I have a walk that's pictured as being humble before God? That's the second thing. So first we've got to deal with the fact that we might be embarrassed. 
Then we have to deal with humility. And the, second th- the third thing is to seek God. It continues in Second Chronicles, if my people will seek my face, if we seek him, and not seeking God just for the blessings of God, but seeking God for God. It's God, I don't want just what you're going to give me. I want you. Because God knows the motives of my heart. God knows the motive of your heart. God knows. He's not dumb. He knows if you're only coming to him in prayer because you want something. Like, just imagine for a moment if you're a parent and you have a child, and this child never speaks to you, ever, ever. They lock themselves in the room. They're always behind closed doors. They always got their headphones on. They always got the music. They never speak to you. They don't eat with you at the dinner table. They have nothing to do with you until they want money. Dad, can I have 50 bucks? Mom, can I buy a new dress? I don't know if that's how it sounds, but anyways. <laughs> I was going to do another voice and figured I'd pay for it, so I didn't do that. But you know what I mean? How, 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 how much do you want to bless that kid? No, you want to kick the kid out of the house. Get a job. Learn some manners. Grow up. <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, now it's not that he wants to kick us out of the house. He's more loving and graceful than we are, thanks be to God. <laughs> okay? But there's something about the relationship here. Are we seeking first God? That at the end of the day, if God doesn't give us what we're praying for, if he doesn't heal, if he doesn't restore, if he doesn't help with the finances, but you've grown in your relationship with God, is that enough? And I hope the answer is yes, because that's what Jesus wants for you and for I. That's what God wants for us. Right? We see this in Proverbs verse eight, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 17. It says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Right? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I love the word earnestly, not because my middle name is Ernest. It actually is. Don't tell anyone that. That's just between you and me. That's a little secret. Okay? I, don't t- I only tell that to people I like. So I like you people. Okay? I can't believe my mother named me Ernest. But anyways. Um, earnest is not just some casual thing. Being like earnestly seeking God is not some casual thing. It's not just something you do when there's time or a spare moment or when you, you remember. It's, it's, it's diligent. It's a regular thing. It, it, it's who you are. It, it's just what you do. Right? It's a serious pursuit. It's of primary importance. Right? And when we put that first, that's, that's when the blessings of God start showing up. Right? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things will be given as well. If you seek first God's kingdom, God's purposes, God's will, then he's going to take care of the rest. He's promised to take care of the rest. Now, it might not be exactly the way we want it, and we're going to talk about that next week, but God wants us to pursue him first, to seek God. So we have to ask ourselves, do we just want the blessing of God, or do we want God himself? Do we just want God to give us more money, give us more health, give us more stuff, to fix our relationships, or do we actually want his will for our lives? Do we want to walk in obedience with him? 
Do we want to be salt and light in this world? So first, we've got to deal with the fact that we might be ashamed, and we've got to deal with the fact that we might have to deal with some humility stuff, and we've got to deal with the fact that we might not be seeking the kingdom of God. And then the last thing that we see in this text here, in Second Chronicles, is then we need to turn and repent. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. What does that mean? We have to kind of look at the two words. The first word is wicked. We need to turn from our wicked ways. What does wicked mean? Because I'm not wicked. I'm a nice guy. I don't wear black. I don't put on a hat. I'm not casting spells, so I'm obviously not wicked. I don't fly on a broom. Okay, that joke died. Okay, I'm not going to do that in the next service. Okay. Um, I'm not wicked. I don't kill people. I haven't cheated on my wife. I'm a good guy. I haven't stolen. I don't think. I think I did my taxes properly. Right? We, we forget that we, um, there's our definition of wickedness, but then there's God's definition of wickedness. And we hold ourselves to our definition of it. But what's God's definition of it? Right? God's definition, the Bible's definition of wickedness is forgetting about God. When the Bible talks about wickedness all throughout Scripture, it's people who have just simply walked away from God. God sees that as wicked that we have chosen to be our own God, that we have chosen to live our own lives separate from his will, separate from his ways, separate from his blessings. The Bible, all throughout the Bible, calls that wicked. In Isaiah 17, verse 10, it says, You have forgotten God, your Savior. You've not remembered the rock, your fortress. That's what the Bible defines as wicked, is simply forgetting about God. So when you and I are living lives where we're forgetting about God. (laughs) That's wicked. And we need to turn from that. And that's the second word that we need to look at. What does the word turn mean? Well, the word turn in the Hebrew means to, it actually means to return. It means to repent. It's not just to turn away from that wickedness, but it's to turn away from that wicked thing and return to God. (laughs) If our finances, God sees that as wicked, we return. If how we're dealing with our sexuality is seen by God as wicked, we return to God. If our arrogance, we return. Our, our pride, we, we return. <laughs> we have to see these things for the way God sees them. And then we need to allow God, when we turn from it, we allow God to work on us to keep us from going back. <laughs> to keep us from going back. Right, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It's in those moments where I think God meets us the most when we're praying for healing, when we're praying for restoration. It's in those times of confession. It's in those times of turning from our wickedness and coming to God. I have felt the closest to God after doing some really dumb things. 
and you do the dumb thing, and you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And you turn and you come back to God, not as an excuse to just keep on doing that, but say, God, I'm, I'm done with that. I don't want to do that anymore. And God meets us in those moments when we're sincere, when he knows that we're truly turning from this. I think as Christians, too many of us are living Christian lives where you think you're going to have this sin in your life for your whole life. And nowhere do I see that in the Bible. I see in the Bible that we will always have sin. Absolutely. On this side of heaven, there will always be sin. But nowhere in the Bible do I see you will always be a slave to your sin. You're free because of your identity in Jesus. Tired of hearing Christians saying, I'm just always going to have this. Tired of hearing Christians going, well, this is just the way it's always going to be. No. It's not what God wants for you. It's not what God wants for his church. It's not what God wants for his nation. God wants to heal. God wants to restore. But it starts with really believing our identity in Jesus, of being children of God, who are not ashamed of him. You've got to stop being ashamed of Jesus in this world. We have to humble ourselves before him. We have to seek his will in our lives. And we have to turn from our wickedness and repent. And I firmly believe that if we live that way, God would be true to his promise. We can't just pick the last part and say, well, I prayed and I'm expecting healing for the land. You, you, you can't leave out the other parts of this verse. But I prayed, Pastor, and nothing changed. Well, did you change? Let's start with you. Let's start with me. Let's start with our church. You want to see this city changed? Let's start with changing Greenbelt. Want to see more and more people come to accept Jesus? Let's start with us. Want to see government changed? Start with you. Start with us. Want to see people healed? Start with us. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to end um, our time after the last song with a time of prayer. Um, We have people from our elders team and our prayer team. And um, we're just going to open it up. We're going to just, like after the, the last song, we will dismiss as we normally do. Um, But if you are struggling with any of the things that we talked about today, I don't want you leaving here today without dealing with that. (laughs) I think I would do you a disservice to just kind of preach this kind of a message and say, okay, now go home, be blessed, hallelujah, amen, and not give you an opportunity to make this real in your life. We're going to have people that will be up front to pray. If you maybe just, maybe if you need to come to Jesus for the first time, they they can walk you through that. It's real simple. You just have to admit that you're a sinner, that you can't pay for that sin, that Jesus died for that. I'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe if you you are embarrassed about Jesus in some aspects of your life, they'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you've got, you know, you haven't been seeking God's will in your life. They'd love to pray with you about that. Maybe you have some wickedness in your life that you've not dealt with. You don't have to share with them the details of it, but you can just ask them to pray for you in that. They'd love to do that as well. We need to humble ourselves. We need to seek God. We need to turn and repent. And as we pray that way, with that heart, I think God will do more than we could ask or imagine. Work together.